Hello friends, welcome or welcome back. You're listening to Strictly Crime with me, Alex. Hi everyone, we are back for a new episode. As always, I hope you guys are doing really good this week. I'm very excited. I have some very exciting news. I went part-time at my job, so now I have more free time to, you know, make these cases and do the research and record, which I am so happy about. So hopefully in the near future, I'm not really sure when, but maybe I will be able to do two episodes a week. I think that would be really awesome. I get four days off a week, so this past weekend. I had my four days off and I was able to do research for four different cases, which is truly amazing. I just sat down, hunkered down, and really got my research going. So this week I wanted, because I did the Hinterkaifeck murders, I think two episodes ago, so I didn't want to do another old-timey case. We'll save that for next week, which will be the Lizzie Borden case. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's it's going to be a ride. This week, I decided to do a solved murder. It is really devastating. It is the murder of Rebecca Schaefer, unfortunately. But if you want to hear who did this and what happened to him, because she does get justice in some ways, keep listening. Now, Rebecca Schaefer was born into a Jewish family in Eugene, Oregon on November 6th, 1967. And she was the only child of Dana or Donna, a writer and instructor at Portland Community College and Dr. Benson Schaefer, a child psychologist. She was raised in the Jewish religion in Portland, Oregon, where she attended Lincoln High School, and she initially had aspirations to become a rabbi, but she began modeling during her junior year of high school, and she is breathtaking. She is absolutely a gorgeous girl. And so she appeared in department store catalogs and television commercials, and actually an extra in a television film. In August 1984, her parents allowed her to move to New York City by herself to pursue a modeling career, which um, probably took a lot of, you know, talking to each other and persuasion by Rebecca, but this is what she really wanted to do. So they were standing by their daughter and they wanted her to follow her dreams. While working in New York, Rebecca Schaefer attended professional children's school, and she also had a short-term role on the daytime soap opera Guiding Light. In late 1984, Rebecca landed the role of Annie Barnes on ABC's One Life to Live for a stint that lasted about six months. And uh, she was kind of quickly becoming a well-known name. During this time, she attempted to further her modeling prospects 
at five feet seven inches, she was considered too short for high fashion modeling and struggled to find work, unfortunately. But the next year in 1985, she moved to Japan in hopes of finding more modeling jobs, but still encountered difficulty during, you know, due to her height and weight. Because as we know, um, models have to be pretty anorexic, I'm just going to say it, and, uh, you know, that heroin chic look, which is just not what Rebecca was. And she returned to New York City and decided to focus on acting, which she thrived at. In 1986, she won a small role in Woody Allen's comedy Radio Days, but her performance was ultimately edited from the film. Only a brief scene featuring her character remains in the film, and she continued modeling here and there and also worked as a waitress because obviously living in New York, everyone is trying to make it, so she kind of did lots of different things to get by. And uh, she appeared on the cover of Seventeen magazine, which caught the attention of television producers who were casting for the comedy My Sister Sam, starring Pam Dauber. And Rebecca Schaefer won the role of Patricia or Patty Russell, a teenager who moves from Oregon to San Francisco to live with her 29-year-old sister, Sam, after the death of their parents. And the series was a hit, ranking in the top 25, but it was canceled halfway through its second season in April 1988 due to the ratings kind of falling short. And after My Sister Sam, Rebecca had supporting roles in scenes from The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills, The End of Innocence, and the television film Out of Time. She also served as a spokesperson for children's charity Thursday's Child. And she was at the beginning of a promising career. Like, you could tell she was moving quickly. She was insanely beautiful. And she was going places. And, uh, unfortunately, an unemployed Tucson, Arizona fast food worker had developed an obsession for her and struck her down in 1989. Now, Rebecca couldn't even afford really a phone when her agent tacked a note to her apartment door telling her to report to the set of My Sister Sam. And so her breakthrough role starring these people really, you know, gave her this career. And of course, you're going to have a lot of fans when you are in a popular show and especially back in the late 80s, some things weren't really known back then. And you want to be nice to everyone. She was such a sweet girl. She wanted to be nice to all of her fans. And so, unfortunately, that really didn't turn out well for her. But that's not her fault. You know, her agent is supposed to be there also to help her. And uh, the show was a success. But Rebecca would never live to enjoy this. And uh, really thrive in her career. It was just starting. And she actually ended up moving from New York to California and rented an apartment in the Fairfax district of LA in a Tudor-style building. And she lived a quiet life alone. I didn't I didn't see any information that she had a boyfriend. She was really just working on her career. Now, we're going to get into the man 
who ultimately did some very bad things to her and ended her life. Robert John Bardot. Robert Bardot was the youngest of seven siblings, son of a former Air Force officer, and he grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and he was the object of physical and mental abuse by his father, I'm sure, as the youngest of seven siblings as well. And according to one of his teachers, Bardot was a time bomb and on the verge of exploding. When he was 13, he took a bus to Maine in search of Samantha Smith, the child that became famous for sending a letter to uh, Mikhail Gorbachevo. The authorities found him and returned him to Tucson. So at 13, he's already like traveling the country searching for people. Very stalker vibes at a very young age, which is a very big red flag. He was an okay student. He was all right, but his teacher wrote, but wrote his teacher threatening letters and he was hospitalized two times because of severe emotional damages. At 16, while working as a janitor for a fast food restaurant, he found a better reality in television. In the fall of 1986, he became a fan of the show My Sister Sam. In particular, he began to obsess with the character Patty, played by Rebecca Schaefer, and he built a shrine to her in his bedroom. So he became this obsessed fan, and he was very young, but I, you know, there is some mental health issues that he had going on, we can tell later on, but it's very frightening that, uh, like, even in the book Fahrenheit 451, I think it's the wife, I've not read the book in years, but I think it's the wife who has these, like, projector, projected, projections oh my god on her wall and like that's her reality and she like never leaves the room and it's kind of like the same thing like he is obsessed with a tv character and then obviously obsesses over the actress as well but it's like that's not reality and he's creating this false reality which can really hurt someone and um their well-being seriously like millions of fans he wanted to write letters to her and he did and surprisingly Rebecca responded because she was this nice girl she wanted to like talk to all of her fans and really show people how thankful she was for this opportunity and these people that were supporting her and so she wrote back to him and writing that his letter was the most beautiful that she had ever received on her letter, she drew a peace sign and a heart and signed with love from Rebecca. And the day Bardot received the letter he wrote in his diary, quote, when I think of her, I would like to become famous to impress her. So he was really just caught up in this whole fake reality, unfortunately. In June 1987, Bardot arrived at the Burbank studio gates where My Sister Sam was produced and he was carrying like this teddy bear and a bouquet of flowers for Rebecca and obviously the security turned him away and did not let him in and they were you know kind of like man you you understand that you cannot be over here you cannot come in here and uh 
he actually returned a month later to the same set with a knife, but of course he did not gain entrance then either. And he put in his diary, I don't lose, period. Unquote. Which is very scary. Um, at that point, if it's, obviously I don't know if it was the same security guard or really what the incident was, other than that he came back with a knife, but at that point, he should have been looked into to some extent because that is a, another big red flag. And uh, he, she was fortunately secured and in a safe environment with people that were able to protect her, but it wasn't like that forever. And he put, I don't lose, period. And uh, he did lose in some ways, um, but unfortunately, he then wrote numerous letters to Schaefer, one of which she, like, answered, and uh, he was just, he would not stop with this obsession, and um, he kind of lost a little, like, when he went back to Tucson after he wasn't allowed to gain access, he lost a little bit of focus on her, and his obsession shifted toward pop singer Tiffany, Debbie Gibson, and Madonna. And there is this podcast, I think it's called Hollywood Scandals. It's by Parcast. All Parcast episodes and all of their series that they have are great. And it talked about Redonna, uh, not Redonna, Madonna was being stalked as well. And it's kind of like the same thing where a pop star or an idol of some sort of celebrity is put to such a high standard that in a way they're looked at like God and people become really obsessed and it's really scary. And he became obsessed as well with her and with other people. But he returned to his home and kind of was not on radars. He saw her new film, Rebecca's new film, Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. And in the movie, Rebecca had a like bed scene it was supposed to be I don't know like an intimate scene with a male actor and this upset Bardot so much he was pissed because he thought he had control of her he thought that that's my girlfriend he like truly thought that they were like together or that he was going to get her and he was really upset because he wanted her to save her innocence for him, and his innocent young girl was becoming an adult woman, which is truly disgusting. And uh, to him, she had now became, you know, a, a Hollywood whore or the bitches of Hollywood, you know, just being vulgar and sexist. I mean, it's disgusting. But he pretty much thought that she had lost her innocence and he decided Rebecca had to be punished for her immorality. He drew a diagram of her body and marked spots where he planned to shoot her. And he asked his older brother Edgar to buy him a gun, which Edgar was a little hesitant, but he was like, I'm just going to use it for like shooting practice or hunting. I forget what excuse he said, but his brother ended up 
letting him have the gun or buying him the gun and thinking, you know, okay, well, he's only going to use it for this purpose. But in reality, he used it for something much, much worse. Now, like I was saying, John Robert Bardot bombarded Rebecca with swarms of love letters, and he also collected videos of Rebecca's TV shows, Amazing Stories, My Sister Sam, One Life to Live, and probably others. And he decked his room with dozens of publicity photos of her, and he was lusting after her. It's really disgusting. And as we know, he was abused and I'm sure had mental health issues, which we will find out later. And I'm not sure if that played a part in it. I'm sure it did. But also maybe it was because of rejection in his real life that he had to kind of create this false reality and hide away. Now, he even mailed a... uh, ominous sounding letter to his sister in Tennessee telling her if he couldn't have Rebecca no one else would and then he hopped on a Hollywood bound bus in Tucson and he was really set on tracking Rebecca Schaefer down on July 17th 1989 Bardot called Schaefer's agent's office and tried to find out where she lived and refused this information, he relentlessly roamed the streets, flashing her photo and asking people nearby, like people passing by, if they knew her address. He was that desperate and determined to figure out where she lived. And what is he planning on doing? Why would he go to her house? I mean, she already rejected him and I don't know. This just seems very odd. What is he going to do when he gets there? What is he planning on doing? Professing his love to her again? I mean, he's already done that in several, you know, letters and things. So I don't know what he's planning on doing, but he paid a private detective $250 to find her. Now, needlessly, because for as little as $1, a person can go into any of California's DMV offices, this was at the time, fill out a form stating who they are, what person they want information on, the reason, and how they intend to use it. Even if they lie, the information is delivered, well, was delivered on the spot. This did change, however. And he got this information. And then one day later, on July 18th, 1989, John Robert Bardot, dressed in a yellow polo shirt, rang Rebecca Schaefer's doorbell, and the intercom wasn't working at the time, and uh, she came downstairs to the apartment building's front door where she saw Bardot. She kind of, in a way, ignored him and telling him that she wasn't interested and, you know, just being nice pretty much just like, I'm sorry, here, this and that, and just probably made an excuse up to shut the door and go on about her day. Now, he was pretty pissed off, as you can imagine. 
Now, Robert John Bardot left and grabbed a meal at a restaurant on Beverly Boulevard in LA. And after about an hour, he returned to the house and rang the doorbell again. And Rebecca Schaefer was still in her house coat or, you know, robe. And she was waiting for a really important script from her agent to arrive. So when she heard the doorbell, she came rushing to the front door again. The intercom was not working. So if she wanted to see who it was, she had to come to the door. And when she turned the handle and opened it, again on July 18th, 1989, 19-year-old Robert John Bardot shot and killed Rebecca Schaefer at her home in West Hollywood. At the time of her death, Bardot had been stalking her for going on three years. And he had previously been obsessed with child peace activist Samantha Smith, who died in a plane crash in 1985. And Bardot, he ends up leaving the scene, running away, and we will find out later that witnesses did see him. And he was picked up, and I did want to give his accounts of this incident. It's pretty disgusting, a little bit of a trigger warning. I mean, this is, he's a monster. He is sick and disturbing, and this is what he said. Quote, she had this kid voice, sounded like a little brat or something, said I was wasting her time. Wasting her time? No matter what I thought, that was a very callous thing to say to a fan. You know, I grabbed the door, gun still in the bag, I grab it by the trigger, I come around, and kapow! And she's like screaming, ah, screaming, why? Ah, and it's like, oh God, unquote. And you can look up his interview. I did put a couple YouTube videos in my sources. I recommend going and watching those. He, the way he reenacts how he killed her, you can tell he has no remorse. He doesn't give a shit about this girl. He cares about himself and it's really, really sad, really disturbing that he is mocking her screams from being literally shot in the heart. It is terrible. And yeah, that is what he said. And a neighbor named Richard Goldman heard the two gunshots and two blood curling screams that, you know, Robert is mocking. Um, and he rushed to her door and found Rebecca Schaefer's body in a black robe twitching in the building's foyer. He checked her pulse but found none. Her arms were, you know, weak and her feet were wedged between the door and its frame. Witnesses saw a young man in a yellow shirt jogging up the Hollywood block. He turned into an alley and disappeared. And later we know this was Robert John Bardot. Sirens screeching, Rebecca was rushed to the Cedars Sinai Medical Center and she lingered for about 30 minutes before she died. Now, the next day, back in Tucson, several motorists called 911 to report a man running around in traffic on Interstate 10. It looked like he was trying to get hit or, you know, commit suicide or something. So, they immediately called and were concerned for this guy, and it was Robert John Bardot. And he confessed immediately to Schaefer's murder. 
he was probably in some manic state, some delusional state of some sort, because he's running around in traffic saying, I killed Rebecca Schaefer, I killed Rebecca Schaefer, and then he just admits it to police. He didn't care. Uh, Arizona police faxed his photo to LA and witnesses confirmed his identity. Later in court, he appeared dazed and confused, and he said, quote, I could probably tell you what I did after I killed her, how I got sick and all, but I don't feel like it. That's literally what he said. He didn't feel like it. Okay. Um, he watched Rebecca Schaefer in the black comedy scenes from The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills in 1989, in which she appeared in bed with another actor, like I was saying, and this is when he became enraged by the seeing of jealousy, and this is when he decided that he should punish her for becoming another Hollywood whore. Arthur Richard Jackson had stalked and stabbed actress Teresa uh, Saldana in 1982, and Bardot learned that Jackson had used this a private investigator to obtain this woman's address. So then he paid a detective agency in Tucson, 250, to find her home address in California in the department of the DMV records, pretty much. And his brother helped him get this gun, and that was that. And this is how he was able to create this disgusting, terrible plan that he thought was so bright and so smart. And it is really sad because she did not deserve this. This, especially because, you know, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but this should not, you should not be able to go and find someone's address, especially someone famous. I mean, nobody nonetheless, but especially someone famous. I mean, millions of people are idolizing them and it's just, it's not okay. And ultimately that's probably a big part of what led to her death is he was able to know where she lived. If he was never able to find where she lived, she wouldn't have died. No matter how crazy he was, if he couldn't figure out where she was, she wasn't going to be hurt. And so that is obviously a big problem. Um, now, she was ultimately buried in a cemetery in Portland. And her friends and family and a lot of America mourned her death. Tucson Police Chief Peter... Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher the last name. I'm sorry. Ronstadt arrested Bordeaux the next day and confessed and Marsha Clark later known for her role as lead prosecutor in the OJ Simpson murder case she prosecuted the case against him Bardot was convicted of capital murder in a bench trial and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole because he is fucking crazy and he deserves to be locked up because there's no reason why he should have killed her he deserves his life taken away because he took her life away and he's gonna pay for what he did in prison i'm sure yeah i'm not sure if he is still alive let me look it up real quick yeah as of 2022 he is serving his life sentence at avenal state prison 
in Avenal, California. Thank God. But he was convicted of capital murder, and as a result of this incident, federal law regarding the release of personal information through the DMV was changed. The Driver's Privacy Protection Act, which prevents the DMV from releasing private addresses, was enacted in 1994, which that was not that long ago. So, geez, you could just look up where someone lived. That's very creepy. But Rebecca Schaefer's death also helped prompt the 1990 passing of America's first anti-stalking laws, which is amazing, including California Penal Code 646.9. Rebecca's body was shipped back to her native Oregon, like I said, for burial, and Robert John Bordeaux was put away. A year after the slaying, Bardot gave an interview in which he stated, quote, I was a fan of hers, and I may have carried it too far, but a lot of things have appeared in the press to make me out to be a monster. If I had one wish, where, if it was to ever come true, it would be for Rebecca Schaefer to be alive today, unquote. Yeah, right, and he is a monster, and that is that. I don't He's, I think he's just trying to get sympathy here or something because he knows he's never going to get out of jail. And that's what a lot of people that go away for life and stuff is. They do these interviews and they want any attention they can get because uh, they're never leaving jail or prison. Um, and so I think he's just wanting pity or something. It's probably a game to him. Well, he also reenacted what had taken place and he had no remorse. He And... Like I said in a, a little bit earlier, he reenacted Rebecca screaming when she was shot. And that's just disgusting. That is no remorse whatsoever. He didn't wish she was alive because he could have just not murdered her. It doesn't matter what type of mental illness he had or what was going on in his life. There is no excuse to what he did. Now... When Bardot's sister heard about the murder, she contacted the police about her brother, and um, he was extradited to California, and his defense attorneys pleaded he had an unstable mental condition due to childhood abuse. And right here, they're just trying to get him probably a lesser sentence, and she contacted the police about that letter that he wrote his sister, and... And she told him, like, this is scary, and obviously it was him. And, I mean, he said he was going to do it, so. Uh, and so, yeah, he was convicted, and in December of 1991, and he told the judge, quote, the idea I killed her for fame is totally ridiculous. I do realize the magnitude of what I've done. I don't think it needs to be compounded by a bunch of lies because she's an actress, unquote. Which, I, I just, I don't care anything that this guy has to say. Um, he's just disgusting, and I don't think he realizes the magnitude of what he did. It doesn't matter if she's famous or not. You literally murdered a woman for no reason because you were obsessed with her. There's no excuse, no nothing this guy can say to make it okay. 
truly disgusting. Now, the death of Rebecca Schaefer's and her murder and the Teresa uh, Saldana assault, it provoked Governor George Dukeman to sign a law that prohibited the DMV from leasing the addresses. And uh, it also inspired the LA Police Department to create the first threat management team, which is really awesome. I mean, it shouldn't take someone dying to do that, but I'm glad that it did happen because who knows? I mean, many more could have died or gotten stalked without these things added. The California law was passed in 1990 and became effective on the first day of 1991, and the law was the first of its kind and later helped convict Jonathan Norman, who was sentenced to 25 years in prison for attempting to carry out threats against director Steven Spielberg. Exactly, like, if these laws were not put in place, many more lives could have been lost or threatened. According to the legislation, a stalker is defined as, quote, someone who willfully, maliciously, and repeatedly follows or harasses another victim and who makes an incredible threat with the intent to place the victim or victim's immediate family in fear of their safety, unquote. And there must be at least two incidences to constitute the crime and show a continual um, continuity of purpose or credible threat. Um, which is... I am just really glad that things have been put into place, but also still now there is definitely some loopholes that stalkers can take especially if they're good at stalking you might not even know that you're being stalked so always 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 be aware of your surroundings make sure you lock your doors lock your house carry pepper spray especially women we are more vulnerable carry some sort of weapon and protect yourself be alert don't look down at your phone when you're walking out of work at night you know be alert and even though Rebecca Schaefer had, there was no reason for her to feel unsafe or anything in her life because this guy was stalking her through a TV screen, which is even more scary. But things like this that have happened are able to help us grow and realize that nobody is safe. No one. By 1993, all states as well as Canada put anti-stalking laws into effect, even though things still need to be put in effect and changed today because many have died from stalking or people following them. It's a very, very scary thing and stalking needs to be taken seriously. At the time of her death, Rebecca Schaefer was dating director Brad uh, Silberling. Her death influenced his film Moonlight Mile in 2002 about a man's grief after his fiance is murdered. 
Shortly after her death, Pam Dauber and her My Sister Sam co-stars Joel Brooks, David Naughton, and Jenny O'Hara filmed a public service announcement for the center to prevent handgun violence in her honor, which is really sweet. I'm sure they adored her because she was so young, so deserving of life. If you guys follow Strictly Crime on Instagram, I always post pictures from each episode and she is just so beautiful and it is truly a shame what Robert John Bardot did to her, but he's still in prison today and that is what matters. I hope that he really regrets what he did. You know, people make mistakes. That's a part of being a human. But this was a huge mistake and this is something he needs to repent and truly, truly feel sorry for because, you know, he could have grown. I understand people have mental illness that is not going treated and uh, if it's really bad, I mean, it could it could have led to something like this. So I'm glad he's behind bars to where he can never hurt another human again. That was the incredibly tragic story of Rebecca Schaefer's death, but she did get justice and the law that was put into place now can help many, especially those who are high profile. And hopefully we can stop stalking. It is, stalking is one of the most scary things especially, you know, peeping toms and things like that because you don't know who is watching you from the shadows. So again, stay alert and be safe out there. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Next week, we will be talking all about Lizzie Borden. I will talk to you guys next week. See ya.